Hello and welcome to another mini episode from Too Many Captains, and we have a great one for you today. I'm Johnny Dangerous, and today we're going to continue our new series of interviews called Movie Royalty. They are just like us. (laughs) I'm very excited to see who our second royal is going to be. Oh, sounds like someone is at the studio door. It's our dear friend, Derek Duvall, today's king of movies. Glad you decided to volunteer to tell us more about your taste in film. Good to be here. Hold the applause, please. (laughs) Matty G and Movie Matter here as well. So if you're ready, let's get started. Let's do it. Have you ever had an interaction with a celebrity from a film? And if so, can you tell us the story? I have... One positive, one negative, and I promise I'll keep them very short. The positive is in 2003, I got to meet Spielberg completely by accident. I mean, we're talking like this is like meeting the movie equivalent of God. And he was super nice. And I've never got starstruck in my life until I met Steven Spielberg. And I sounded like a kid who got kicked in the shin because like, you're so great. And I love you so much. And he was looking at me like, security so but no it was he was really cool shook my hand i told him jaws is you know the greatest thing i it, you know since sliced bread and his movies changed my life and he's heard it a million times and then the negative story is i met what i consider to be the biggest asshole in movies history and that's ben affleck and he came on board my ship in the navy for the uh, pearl harbor premiere and i had just gotten to the fleet as well and he was there smoking cigarettes next to the JP5 fuel tanks, which I don't know if you know anything about, you know, fire and fuel. They mm. don't make good bedmates. Yeah. And we kept telling him, hey, asshole, get away from, you know, uh, get away from the JP5 fuel tanks. And he was like, whatever. And he was flicking his cigarettes on the flight deck. And we all were like, just what a complete tool you are. Great director, horrible human being. Yeah. Say what you will about him, but. I mean, he still was the bomb in Phantoms. We called him Aslick because we just couldn't stand him. You should have just gone with Aslick. <laughs> Jeez, you should have been the Navy, Matty G. That would be very bad for the Navy. <laughs> all right, Derek, what is your favorite big blockbuster popcorn movie of all time? And tell us about the first time you saw it. Carrying on our, our story about Spielberg, and it was Jaws. I was six. My dad took me to see it in Nottingham Square Cinema in England. I sat next to him, scared out of my mind. And then when I was 15, I watched it again and I fell in love, you know, with the art of it. And I read, you know, Carl Gottlieb's The Jaws Log, which is like the Bible of of movie making. Read that in high school. And I had a better understanding of, you know, like how movies are made. And as a more mature person, depending on who you ask, I immediately fell in love. And I've watched it at least twice a year, every year since I was 15. And I'm 42 now. See, this uh, takes us back to a long time ago when I first discovered your dad's choices for what movies that he took you to as a small (laughs) child, which I've always found interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On the other side of the coin, what is your favorite independent small budget movie? And what impressed you about the filmmakers' efforts to get that made? Lurks. When I was a teen, I was busting a counter at Blockbuster Video and Kevin's story of disgruntled clerks who were dealing with endless parade of assholes and drones spoke to me on a personal level. And the fact he made it with $24,000, you know, cashed out all of his credit cards, sold his comic book collection to make this movie that only he and probably a few of his friends would ever be like, 
hey, look at this terrible waste of money that I made, but it ended up making him uh, an icon for independent film. And I immediately took to what I call the Randall Graves ideology. Some lady came in and she's like, I won't let my kids watch or use their imagination. And I was trying to suggest these movies to them. And finally, we settled on Herbie Goes Bananas. <laughs> take the movie, take the VHS out of the out of the uh, box, slip in Boogie Nights, because that was just the big movie that came out at the time. Put it back together. It's like, ma'am, you have a great day. You have a great blockbuster day. About three hours later, I get a phone call. And this old lady's just screaming bloody murder into the phone. You gave my children pornography and all this. I'm like... I want to speak to your manager. I'm like, I am your manager. I said, you're welcome to come here and we'll give you a free bag of popcorn to make it better. I will never come there again. And that's when me and my friend at the same time were like, you're not allowed to rent here anymore. (laughs) Great day. I cut up a card and everything. Oh man. The lady just wanted to watch Herbie. (laughs) All right. If you were going out with your friends and you could choose any film for the group to watch, what would you want to experience together? Well, my gut reaction would be Schindler's List, but I actually want people to come back and hang out again. So uh, it would have to be Die Hard. It's like mathematics. It's the universally beloved language of film. You know, terrific action, great heroes, legendary villains, just something for everybody in the film, men or women. Okay. And if you did that, are you picturing that as like your you're showing it to a bunch of people who haven't seen it before or you're everybody there is already familiar with it. And it's more of like a laugh and talk along with it. It's a little bit of both actually, because I've had people in the last couple of years who've never seen it before. Now they are part of that group. Like they want to come back every year and like, Oh yeah, die hard. Woo-hoo! You know? So yeah, it's, it's one of those movies. It's like star Wars or, or something like that. Everybody knows die hard now, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's part of the pop culture app, you know, Amphion. So yeah. Okay. You're going to go on a date. And you get to choose what's playing. What are you going with? Well, I subscribe to the Paul Shackerford School of Dating, and that would be secretary. But as I've matured, (laughs) (laughs) I found the best first date movie is easily lost in translation. Uh, It has everything that you are currently going through. You know, two lost people learning everything about each other and unspoken feelings of affection. And before I met my wife... This movie got the door open to some serious dating partners. It was the kind of like the introduction into me and, you know, what I was going through in my life. And uh, thankfully found some people like-minded who kind of dug me and kind of dug the movie at the same time. Gotcha. So it was a good test case to kind of figure out if you were going to be simpatico. I like that. But Secretary is a great movie for the record. Considering that you host a successful podcast where you converse with an interesting person, what is your favorite scene from a movie? where someone is being interviewed? Hmm. Probably the usual suspects. Where Verbal Kent was being interrogated and interviewed by uh, the lead prosecutor who was trying to get dirt on what was going on in that, that day in that harbor. And, you know, obviously, you know, through the, the amazing storytelling that's coming out, obviously there's a huge payoff at the end, which I won't spoil for anybody. But that, I think for me, that's probably the best, you know, interview, if you want to call it interview interrogation, because technically they're the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I never realized the the hostility that might take place in your Derek Duvall interviews. <laughs> you really come at him. Don't lie to me. Shaking him. <laughs> Where the hell have you been for the last five years? <laughs> Who is Carl Gottlieb?
You know what that sound means. It's time for the lightning round, and it's going to be about your favorite film of each decade. Are you ready? I'm more than ready. Let's have a minute on the clock, and your time starts now. 1940s or earlier? 30 seconds over Tokyo. 1950s. War of the Worlds. 60s. The Sound of Music. 70s. Rocky. 80s. Ghostbusters. 90s. Leon the Professional. 2000s. The Dark Knight. 2010s. John Wick and its infinite sequels. (laughs) And the 2020s. The Batman. Time is up and you just beat the clock. (laughs) (laughs) The Batman. Okay. That new one. That was brilliant. So we had two Batmans Mm -hmm. in, in the list. That's, that's definitely high praise. Which decade for you was the hardest to make your final decision? The sixties. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. You felt like you had a lot of contenders or not many. There were about, there were about four solid choices. I mean, I'm not going to, I have a personal connection to the sound of music because it was one of the things that when I grew up, it was kind of like a staple in our household. So for me, that was what pushed it over the finish line. Gotcha. Almost like the, the family point of connection if you want to call it that yeah yeah it's every i don't know if you notice but in in great britain every christmas by decree of queen elizabeth ii the sound of music must be played because it's her favorite movie wow all right to you what has been the biggest mistake made by the academy awards and who should have instead won in that particular category the biggest glaring um strike for the academy awards was 1998 awarding Shakespeare in Love, Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan. Okay. That is unforgivable, in my opinion. I think that was Harvey working his magic. <laughs> oh, oh, Harv. Gosh. Yeah. I I don't know a lot of people who would list uh, Shakespeare in Love as their favorite film, nor a lot who probably have re-seen it. I mean, I think I, I want to say maybe once I re-saw it, but I saw it around that time, and I not really sure that I want my wife and I watched it about five, six years ago, and I completely forgot Affleck. Asleck, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I, I was actually thinking about it being in that after your <laughs> negative experience. <Yeah. laughs> and then you got Matt Damon in the one that you feel like was robbed. So. <laughs> exactly. Go. <laughs> so we we clearly know where you stand on the best friend side of who you prefer. <laughs> From everybody who I know who's Matt said he's absolutely like an absolute teddy bear. We'll sign any autograph. Yeah, hug any baby, you know, anything like that. So I wouldn't want to play cards with him after seeing Rounders, though. Yeah, <laughs> nervous. Yeah, I just want to talk to him about Rounders for about thirty minutes. That's a great movie. <laughs> like, you know, that one time where you, it's like the Chris Farley interview. Yeah, you remember <laughs> the time when you and Worm got the shit kicked out of you by a bunch <laughs> of cops? That was awesome. <laughs> All right, what is your favorite needle drop moment uh, in a film, and why was it so impactful? All right, this one's for you, Matty G. You ready? All right. Apache Indian, boom shakalak for the opening credits of Dumb and Dumber. Totally set the tone <laughs> for the wackiness of the film. Greatest <laughs> intro music for any film ever, in my opinion. Okay. So you didn't know necessarily what you were in for. The title wasn't a big enough a clue. Yeah. <laughs> that song but, starts and you're like, oh, I get it. I can watch that intro at least five times a year and I laugh <laughs> nonstop every time. Yeah. What is your favorite movie couple of all time? Uh, this is I'm just going to go with the default answer, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. Okay. Do you have a preference for their relationship in one film over the other? 
You've got mail. You got mail. Okay. Yeah. Tom Hanks is a ruthless asshole in that movie, but finds love with the woman that he bankrupted. And gotcha. uh, it's kind of like, um, oh my God, what do, you, what do you call it when a hostage is like living with the hostage taker? And they, <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. like, kind of like a gaslit, gaslit Stockholm Syndrome. Where he's like, this evil dude was really, really bad. But in between the sheets, I'm oh, getting yeah. in there. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Okay, so you didn't see yeah. it a, re- a redemption. You saw it a corruption story. I saw a corruption, yeah. But okay. no, it, was, it actually is. It's a, it's a sweet movie. And Dave Chappelle's in it. I keep forgetting that every time I watch it. So I did not remember that. Yeah, it's been a Tom long Hanks time. Hanks' like, best friend uh, assistant. Okay. He is one of their co-editors. I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, what is your favorite film in which the director was making his or her debut in that role? This was the hardest question that you asked. And it took me a good two three hours to figure it out and the answer is darren aronofsky pie was an incredible film and i know you guys have your opinion about some of his other movies but for me it just goes up from there okay because he went from pie right into requiem right into fountain right into and it just keeps on going and wrestler and it just keeps on going he he just keeps hitting home runs and i'm hoping he'll have a best director nomination for this movie coming he's coming out um in in a few weeks with brandon frazier the whale yeah that one looks interesting yeah yep like aronofsky yeah pie is also i remember it being just jarring mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah being like who is this guy and what am i watching but it is very good well my default answer was going to be nolan but then i realized memento was not his first film so following him yeah so yeah which is also really good <laughs> i've never seen it i actually put it on the list of things to see i did not know that was not his first film all right. If you could put an end, <laughs> put us all out of our misery, ending a major film franchise, which one would you choose and why are you canceling it? The little franchise known as the Fast and the Furious because <laughs> families can suck sometimes <laughs> oh, yes, so and they just went to space. So unless they dri- start driving at the bottom of the ocean, there is nowhere else to go. <laughs> so so oh, yeah, no, man. Fast and the Furious sucks. <laughs> well, Fortunately for you, money is not here to tell you why. (laughs) (laughs) So our last big question, and this one is, I think it's a thinker. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you first see a movie, you have a strong reaction to it. You might love it. You might hate it. But over the years, either you change or maybe the situation changes. You view it again. You're around different people. And all of a sudden, you think, almost completely opposite about it. You love it now or you hated it before or the opposite. Has there been a film like that that made a big shift for you? Yes. Now, I said earlier the hardest question was the director question. This was the easiest question for me. The film is Austin Powers. Okay. When I first saw Austin Powers, I'm like, what a garbage movie this is. I couldn't get through it. I didn't get the humor. I, I, just, I just don't know if I was just in the right mental place to watch it. And I watched it three times. I still hated it every single time. Watched it with my dad, and then I realized it wasn't a f- them mocking the Bond franchise. It was them kind of honoring it a little bit. And it was until I was a little bit older, too. I watched it again, you know, we'll have it with fresh eyes. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I do laugh at all the jokes now and what have you. I think it was just me trying to get through that hump of – because the Bond franchise for me is, like, very sacred to me. It's, those are the movies that were very, very important to me growing up. But – watching it i didn't realize they weren't mocking it they were they were kind of homaging it and i think that's why when i first saw austin powers i was kind of so like you know 
against it, but now I, you know, understood what they were trying to do. I like it. And I like the sequels as well. Okay. Did you, did your opinion come around and change before the sequels or after? Before the sequels. Okay. So yeah. it was in that time period between that time the first period, yeah. and the second and my And my dad didn't go to the theaters very often because he just didn't like going, but he and I went to see the second one. Okay. Uh, it was at the big Dickinson Theater over at 101st Memorial. We saw it there, and he, we both laughed our asses off. And then I was in the Navy when uh, Goldmember came out, and I saw it there So in San Diego. I wish they'd make more. I just don't think they ever will. Who knows? Anything's possible with that guy. <laughs> but can you make those movies in this kind of climate now? You know. I think so. You think but so? It, it is harder than it used yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah. Especially funding because nobody wants to pay for a, a big budget studio comedy. That's also a good example of one where I think audiences in general kind of had that. It had a horrible box office reception mm -hmm. and it was only on referrals from other people and VHSs that that became a phenomenon and gave birth to such a big franchise. All right. Thank you again, Derek, for joining the captains and providing enlightening answers to our dedicated fan. Lastly, do you have any advice on the volume everyone should listen? Ladies and gentlemen, you should always play your movies loud. All right. Mission accomplished. <laughs> and that's another mini episode in the books. You can find us on a moviepodcast.com as well as Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoyed what you heard today, subscribe, write a review, or post a link to the episode on your social media. It really does help. We will be back with another deep dive next week. And thanks for listening.